This podcast is sponsored by Low No Drinker magazine, the number one UK magazine for the sober curious drinker, bringing you news, reviews and interviews from the people, places and brands leading the low and no alcohol revolution. As a Sober Rebel listener, use code SOBERREBEL15 to get 15% off any digital or print subscription from the Low No Drinker magazine for six whole months. Hello and welcome to the Sober Rebel podcast with me, Louisa Evans. The show where we talk about the benefits that my guests have noticed in sobriety We talk a bit about how they got sober, but also why they enjoy staying sober. Because we all know that it isn't easy, but sobriety does make life a lot easier. So in this first episode of 2024, I'm joined by Leanne, also known on Instagram as Cheers to Being Sober. She quit alcohol back in March 2023, so she's actually just done her first sober Christmas, This episode was pre-recorded, so we spent some time talking about the natural nerves she had about the festive season, and I can actually report back now. She tells me she actually had a ball. So I hope you enjoy. I am so pleased to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. So just to start with, tell us a little bit about your sober journey or your drinking life, whatever you want to share. I think I'm probably the same as most. I started drinking when I was a teenager, really. Thinking back, you know, you think you're not doing any harm. It doesn't have any consequences. And looking at people around me who were taking drugs and doing other things. I actually lived in Ireland at the time when I really started to have those drinks with friends and stuff. Uh, We lived in a place called Skibbereen in West Cork. The Irish are quite big on drinking over there. You know, it's almost like a pastime yeah and so yeah started to go to town hall discos and meet up with friends and that kind of thing and I witnessed many other people doing other things and I was like absolutely not I'm not going to do that thinking that I was being holier than thou just into a few drinks little did I know what I know now then I moved back over here and I met my eldest daughter's father we were essentially very very young And we ended up realising that we lived a couple of doors away from each other. And my grandparents were like, you know, I was 18 at the time, he was 21. And they were like, we don't want you to stay over here. I can't stay over there. So we ended up buying a house. I was 19 by then. And he wasn't a a big drinker at all. We actually met on a night out. But as soon as it was kind of like in our heads that we were going to buy this house, then... We were just like, right, we're not going to go out. So for a long time, I didn't drink at all, mm. apart from maybe at Christmas and whatnot. And then ended up making myself really ill because, of course, I wasn't drinking at any other time. And then as years gone by, we had separated. And then I guess that's when it started, really. Just with having a couple of drinks in the evening, it was nothing major, nothing shocking. It was only the same as anybody else was doing, to be honest. Was this like the 90s, 2000s? 2000s by this point Jennifer would have that's my eldest she'd have been three so it's quite normalized at that time in the 2000s though wasn't it you had quite a lot of pressure from society everybody did it all my friends at work went home and had a bottle of wine yeah it's just all very well what I 
thought was normal. But having said that, thinking back, what was actually normal for me was sitting in with a cup of tea. Yeah. So it was almost like I'd separated. I was living on my own with my daughter for the first time in my life because I'd kind of gone from living with my grandparents to living with a partner. And then, yeah, just thinking back, though, it wasn't anything massively significant. But then I met my now ex-husband and he was quite a big drinker and so it definitely became normalized then to sit and have a few drinks obviously going through two pregnancies after that because we actually we got married and we had two children together didn't drink at all during pregnancy wasn't an issue to stop at all then our marriage started going down the toilet really we were arguing a lot then I kind of got ended up with um, depression, panic disorder. That's kind of like when it escalated when I was in that situation. I can still remember having my first panic attack and literally feeling like I, w- I thought I was having a stroke. And I was sat there with my son on one side of me and my daughter on the other side and all of a sudden kind of like lost vision in my right eye. Oh, and I felt like scary. my face was falling and this had come out of nowhere. And so I remember crawling to the floor like picking up the phone and phoning an ambulance. I thought, I genuinely thought I was having a stroke anyway. When the ambulance came, they were like, your blood sugar's a bit on the lower side. But yeah, it was a panic attack. And I remember feeling really embarrassed because I've heard of people having panic attacks and didn't actually know what one was. I thought it was when people kind of like hyperventilate, but there was none of that at all. And then that kind of escalated. And then I was having maybe four or five of those a day, lasting half an hour, was having them in the car, so stopped driving. I was off work for quite some time because I didn't even feel like I wanted to leave the house. All of in the meet, you know, this put extra pressure on our relationship because he didn't understand. And it was more like, oh, just have a drink kind of thing. Like that'll solve it. But actually it's it's causing probably problems. Making me, probably making me 20 times worse. And it was nothing like, I couldn't say that I was falling over drunk. Because I wasn't, it was literally just, it would get to seven o'clock in the evening. And then it, that was kind of like a decompression time, if you like, chill yeah. time, relaxed time. But I didn't know then what I know now, the detrimental effects that it was having on me. We then split up. I was on my own again with three children. Because I was on my own, I wouldn't say it had escalated, the drinking had escalated massively. It never really did. I always kind of like managed to contain it. You know how with some people it tends to snowball and then they're having more and more and more all the time. I've always been quite a control freak. And I don't know if that was kind of like why, but it was, it started to niggle at me. Why am I doing this of an evening? You know, so I I did start to question myself probably a good few years ago now. I mean, that is so similar yeah how I felt because I wouldn't have any more I didn't like being drunk no I don't like being out of control I hate being sick so (laughs) and the weird thing was I only felt safe to have a drink properly if I was at home so if I was on a night out I would have shandy or I would stop drinking because I'm like okay so if I'm in the middle of Manchester or something like that on a night out I need to make sure that me and everybody who's with me gets home safe yeah So I think there was quite a strong element of control there. You think that you're in control, but if you're really in control, then you'd be like, right, okay, enough. A few months after he left, however, 
I was on my way to work one morning and I got a phone call off my dad saying that my nana had had a stroke. My nana wasn't, she she had a few health issues, but it wasn't expected at all. I know that she felt, she said that she felt poorly uh, with a headache, but she had actually been in the loft on the Tuesday clearing it out and I was around there helping her. So this was on the Thursday. So I was on the bus, I got off the bus because the hospital was not too far away. My dad picked us up and she was in resource. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget that. And I think that was at the point where things started to maybe, I definitely needed some form of something to relax me through that period. That was horrendous. Mm. I was at the hospital every single day, sat at her bedside, and she passed away nine days later. Oh, she so had two different kinds of strokes. She'd had a clot and a bleed. She ended up with endocarditis, which is an infection in the heart. She had a further five mini strokes while she was in there. And yeah, uh, and on top of that, she was septic. Through that, I was up, crack of dawn every day, go to the hospital. But, you know, even if I didn't get home till two in the morning, I still have to have a couple of beers just to try and shut off. And that's mm. kind of how it went. Like, it wasn't like I was having vodka and, you know, how what you would typically associate with somebody with a drinking problem. It wasn't like I, was, I never drank in the morning. It was always in the evening. I noticed from a certain time to kind of like bedtime, really, I guess. Anyway, I'll fast forward a little bit. And then I met my current partner, Dean. So that happened in 2016. I lost my granddad then in 2018 and got divorced and was going through the menopause. <laughs> Oh, like within a short space of time. And then I met my current partner in December 2019. And he's not a big drinker at all. He'll maybe have one or two every so often. He, he doesn't enjoy it. And how he did does. that work then between the two of you? Like you Initially, I kind of carried on as I was. But yeah, it was just having had conversations. And then I used to sit there feeling bad because I'm like, oh God, do I smell? because he's not had anything and he always said he didn't mind but if you've ever been near somebody and you've not had a drink and they have you know how bad they stink so I was kind of like had this in my head and then there was a couple of occasions where I think maybe I'd had a few beers and I was one. I had my drink in a wine glass just to be a bit posh I did that Um, I, I wouldn't drink out the can. You can't drink out the can. Put it no. in a glass. Yeah. But not even a normal glass. It had to be out of a wine glass. And then I can remember him turning around and going, going bloody hell, babe. Like, how many have you had? But you wouldn't be able to tell that yeah. he had a drink. It wouldn't be like I come across drunk or, or loud or whatever. It, you know, it was never to, to be like that. It was always to relax and to shut my head up. My yeah. head used to drive me mad. It was like, thoughts racing all the time and that had been like that from me having the panic attacks and maybe a bit before that when my marriage started to go down the pan to even now but since stopping I can't even begin to tell you how little that happens you kept a lid on it quite well yeah you wouldn't get drunk you wouldn't be sick you wouldn't be hung over but you're habitually wanting a drink every evening yeah yeah I think it's a fallacy that you've only got a problem with alcohol if you fit this certain criteria I mean I was drinking way more than the current you know the recommended units but nobody would have known 
no no not at all I was very similar to that it was something that was I was conscious of though and it was something that I was worrying about and so I had made a few attempts to cut it out altogether I did sober for October and dry January and things like that and doing those things you think oh well if I can do that then I've obviously got a bit of control yeah because for me as well I was like I'm a bad parent and then I'm thinking Jesus you know if something happens to the kids and then I couldn't drive and all these things were kind of and then that's when I started reading books and trying to educate myself on it and yeah when you start googling have I got an alcohol problem you know that kind of thing so I started reading books I did a good stint of about three months I think without having anything and then went back to it and yeah there was something that just wasn't quite sticking you could manage then to do the month of October or January yeah I managed to do them but it, you know and then the mad thing was when I think back now how much better I actually started to feel and then I read uh, William Porter's book talking about uh, FOMO and fear of missing out and that always got me especially when my friends would be like oh should we go out I didn't used to go out very often but I used to like 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 going to the local pub and doing a bit of karaoke and just you know because it wasn't a weekly thing it was something that I used to look forward to and I think really that's the last thing that I've been struggling with, you know, wanting to meet up with friends and going out because every single person that I know does drink. And I've been out, I can go out for a meal and it's never bothered me because even if I'd go out for a meal previously when I was drinking, I never used to drink at that point. Say if we had gone out for tea somewhere or sorry, dinner somewhere, I'd be driving. So then that wasn't particularly hard. That's not hard when I go for meals now. But I haven't been for a night out in a long time. Have you done karaoke? No. Do you think it's something you would do sober or? I don't know. I think it did give me a false sense of confidence. But even then, kind of like the way that I'm talking about now, it's almost romanticising it. I know that's not the case. And I know really that it's probably two, three drinks deep was where you got your your, your false confidence from. But then anything after that, you're just drunk. Yeah. Just imagine doing the, it though, how amazing you would, would feel. It would be amazing. I have, I have said I feel like I need to start socialising with people who don't drink and do things that don't involve going for a drink. I've been fairly stressed recently. Nothing major, you know, having two pre-teens and two teens in the house isn't always easy. Yeah. Um. So there has been a few challenges recently and it's almost been kind of like, I just want a break. Kind of thing I want to be able to just let my hair down and let loose and I was talking I'm luckily for me I'm now with the kind of person that I can talk to about anything and I just said be honest I did say this the other day I was like I'm not sure if I might end up having a drink over Christmas and he was like are you really going to spoil and ruin everything that you've worked so hard for mm. and I sat and I listened to what he was saying he was like you know you you've lost weight you've gone all this time without you are not half as tired as you were and he said because we were talking about the podcast he was like you're doing the podcast you've got your Instagram account and he's like you'd have to give all that up yeah and I kind of sat and I listened to what he was saying and then I came home and I looked at my Instagram account and I was like okay so that's where you were this is where you are 
and that's kind of like when I did the latest comparison picture and when I did that it was like oh my goodness you look so different so much happier healthier you look so so different in your comparison pictures yeah but it just goes to show you that that FOMO fear of missing out you have you to do keep have to keep it. on top of it and I got kind of stuck in my own head a little bit just going I just need a break I just need a break when what I should have done is I need support I need support I need to reach out and I didn't yeah and for me as soon as you start that train of thought of well maybe just one will be fine it's not it's never going to be fine yeah because you would I would just end up in the same situation don't know about you I'm not going to be somebody who just wants one beer once a week no I don't even think it was necessarily that it would be because what Tom was saying and what I know deep down myself was oh well if I have one then they were like yeah but what about the next time that you're stressed what about the next time that you've had a good day you know what if you end up wanting to go out often yeah and I was kind of like okay alcohol's not all that you know we've really been sold this idea that it is the thing to have fun it's the thing to relax and what you actually said there was that you were struggling and you wanted a break and you need a break and in your head you're saying well I want to let my hair down well why couldn't you have something where you could go I don't know for a day to a spa yeah or something exactly but this is the the internal chatter and for me it's just highlighted you are never it doesn't matter how many days away that you are there's always that chance that that internal chatter can start up again if you are not keeping on top of it and I would say up until that point that my mindset around it had completely changed which it has I know what the truth is but especially at this time of year as well this is my first sober Christmas it's in your face. It's absolutely everywhere. Every time you turn on the TV, the, the glamorizing it and it's making it, it does make it look inviting. And then you're kind of thinking, oh, things like the Christmas drinks, like you'd associate with Baileys and things like that. I just wish you didn't have to switch on your TV and see that. Yeah, I think it is. They make so much bloody money out of it. They do. They do. And I think to begin with, I got very angry at myself and at, the marketing and alcohol and I think that that for me I know everybody's different that spurs you on so far that if you're not careful you can get stuck in that loop it's like what you need to be moving towards is what you'd lose it was the minute I thought hang on just like you said there the last time I romanticized about alcohol was May and we're now in December so we're recording this in December it'll go out in January so that's a, a long time ago, and I'm not even romanticizing about it over Christmas. But I thought exactly the same thing as you did. I thought, what would I do? Almost like you've got a responsibility. My daughter, my middle daughter, she has said time and time again, you're so much better now you don't have a drink. She has said, Are you never going to drink, even like at weddings or things like that? And I was like, Well, no. But it just goes to show how deep it runs into the psyche, even in children and what they see and whatnot. Because, you know, I know their dad is quite sociable. He goes out quite a lot. And so they see him going out and having fun and 
you know, being overly jolly and having a laugh. But I can remember back and, you know, it was it was hard work. Yeah. It was hard work. It's hard work dealing with a very drunk person. For me, it wasn't necessarily like that. I used to find that I'd send very long text messages, things like that, after a drink. Write essays to my friends and they were like, oh, she's had a couple again. And that's how they'd be able to tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I kind of had that wobble because it's driven home even more now what I'm doing, the why I'm doing it and why I actually don't want to fail why I don't want to go back on what I've said. So you're nearly nine months sober. Yeah. I think my wobble really happened around the six-month point. And, yeah, I did. I sat there and I thought, well, I could. I think I have seasonal wobbles. I had a wobble in spring, summer, when it started to get warmer. We booked a holiday. I didn't drink when I was on holiday and had an awesome time. Yeah. Um, The fact, no hangovers, you know, had so much more energy that was lovely and then my second wobble is again it's just coming up to the Christmas period but this is our oh, firsts isn't it I this mean this is the year of the first yeah yeah the first year of sobriety is going to be more triggering than I think later years because you'll go well I've done one of these before it'll, it'll be fine it's fading effect bias basically you're just looking back with rose-tinted glasses we all do exactly. it so just for the listeners, just to explain what you do for a living, because I think that's very interesting as well. So I'm an operating department practitioner, more commonly known as an ODP. So we specialise within the theatre department mainly. So we work in scrub, anaesthetics and recovery. We can also work in other areas such as ICU and resource as well. Anything critical care based, basically. But in the trust that I work in, I'm currently working in scrub at the moment, which means you can have a scrub nurse or you could have a scrub ODP. We're both um, qualified professionals. So we have a mixture of the two. So you might have, say, if you have a student nurse who's qualified, they for their placements, they would go all over. They would go into the community. They go onto wards. They come up to theatres. But ODPs literally specialise within that department. So for the three years that we're doing that degree, it is centred around that environment. I've done placements in ICU and resource as well. But at the moment, at present, I'm on the scrub team, which means that I'm at the operating table with surgeons. And that must be so rewarding, so interesting. It is really interesting and it is really rewarding. It's a real privilege to do what I do. You witness people at their most vulnerable. And I have witnessed many patients that we've had to rush in to our emergency theatres on the back of drinking-related illness or emergency. One that particularly sticks in my head, I'd already stopped drinking at this point, and we had a patient who had come in with a gastrointestinal bleed. Now, for people who do drink an awful lot, you get what's called oesophageal varices, which is basically blood vessels in the oesophagus and they can burst and bleed out. And it is very much a life and death situation. And I had a patient that was rushed in and it was probably the worst case that I'd seen. And by this point, I think I'd gone about three months without a drink. And that was kind of like, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. I, you know, Not that I'm saying for one second that I think I'd end up like that, but when you can see physically the damage that alcohol consumption 
alcoholism can do to a person. It's really, really, really very sad. Like that that day, the image, that video, internal video will play in my head forevermore, I think. I think in anybody that works in the healthcare sector, particularly in theatres, critical care, A&E, there's, there's always going to be one or two more situations but one in particular will stick out in your head and that's probably going to be mine yeah I didn't you know if you'd asked me five years ago could you see yourself doing this obviously at that point I was trying to work towards it but it was kind of like couldn't see light at the end of the tunnel and now that I am now that I've qualified you know especially at my age as well I am actually quite proud of myself and I do literally love what I'm doing and to qualify as well to study with yeah. the family and you know for the last six months of it you were saying last six months of it I didn't drink so which actually made the the latter part of my degree a lot easier yeah because I had more capacity for you know sitting there and studying it wasn't such a struggle because I wasn't as tired yeah well congratulations yes thank you what is your first thing your first benefit of sobriety my first benefit is better sleep. It's not that I ever had trouble going off to sleep. It's I had trouble staying asleep. And no matter, it didn't matter how much sleep that I seemed to have, I was always tired. And again, since reading books and kind of like educating myself on what alcohol does to the brain, I understand now why I was so tired because I wasn't actually getting into a decent sleep cycle. So now it's literally, it's like a cloud's been lifted. I get out of bed in the morning, I'm actually refreshed. I'm ready to start my day. I don't ever lie in anymore. It's pretty cool because my days are longer. I've got more time to do things and have more energy to do them as well. Are you going that, to bed earlier as well? I do go to bed earlier, probably much to the annoyance of my other half, actually, because he's quite a night owl and I was a night owl. But I'm thinking about now, I don't know how I used to do that or how I used to stay up till one in the morning and then get up as early as I do now. I have no idea because once it gets to about half ten, I've had enough. Half ten? Like, you you um... are a night owl. That's, that's, not, <laughs> that's not early. Eleven o'clock is like, I know I have to go to bed now. I, I enjoy, like, it's that time. There's two times of the day when I'm thinking about sleep. When I first put my head onto the pillow, and I'm like, oh, I start to feel really cosy, really relaxed. And then I know I'm drifting off. And then when I wake up in the morning, especially at the weekend, when the house is deathly quiet, nobody's up and I'm the first one up. Yeah. And you get that that morning coffee. And like Sunday used to be my most hated day. And now it's my most favorite day. I get that coffee by the patio doors, looking out in the garden and just having that peace and quiet. And I love it. I really love that. They call it glimmers, don't they? It's the opposite of a trigger. Heartwarming. This is yeah. why I'm doing it. This is why I'm doing it. And that's the stuff you want to remember. Yeah. Getting up and seeing the sunrise, whether it be summer, winter, whatever. I like I like that. I've definitely become more of a coffee drinker now as well. Yeah. Like I'm obsessed. <laughs> well, yeah. it's it's still a drug, but we won't get onto that one. <laughs> no, that's not. I'm not ready to give that up yet. No. <laughs> My second thing is anxiety has been massively reduced. I was always, always have been an overthinker. I wouldn't say it's disappeared altogether. Obviously, stress is a natural part and a useful part of life for people. 
but the level of anxiety that I was having was it was you know it was on steroids it was just constant it that when I was having panic attacks and things like that it was hard to deal with it was hard to manage I I actually wouldn't wish panic attacks on my worst enemy it's such a horrible place to be in mentally yeah and not having control over when one's going to pop up or I certainly didn't initially but I haven't had one in a very very long time and you can start to shrink your life as well with anxiety. That's the cruel thing about it is that you think, I know you mentioned that you were worried about, you, you had them sometimes when you were driving and then you stopped driving and then you weren't working and it's yeah. the shrinking of your life around it. Actually, that's what makes anxiety worse because your body's being given the signal, I was right to warn you. Yeah. Uh, and then it will warn you again in similar situations. And so it's such a cruel thing because it can be really upsetting. So what did, what did you do to help yourself with the anxiety? Is there anything else you've done aside from quitting drinking? Journaling, writing things down. I'm a reader, though, to be honest. I kind of like to educate myself on things. And a lot of the books that I read to do with sobriety kind of all touched on the same subject. And it seems to be a really, really common theme amongst people that have quit is how much less and how 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 much reduced their anxiety is once they have quit when I quit I was still at uni so I can't say like I had loads of time to go to the gym and this and that and the other and I did have more of a focus on getting my work done and just getting to the end of my degree but the anxiety that I had about that because obviously you're doing presentations and and things like that where you've got to stand up and that was something that used to cripple me the thought of doing used to cripple me and then I did notice that when I quit, it wasn't that bad. It was kind of like I used to almost like have catastrophic thinking, if that makes sense. It was always worst case scenario thinking. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I'm best case scenario. I would say that I'm leveling out a little bit. In certain circumstances, having that worst case scenario thinking is actually beneficial. If you're working in critical care, you're kind of always looking at, okay, so what's going to go wrong? What can we do to kind of like stop anything from bad from happening what signs we're looking out for you know what's the patient doing is there going to be any bleeding what can we do next it's always looking at what we can do next probably actually quite why that emergency situation I seem to thrive in like levels of high stress I seem to thrive in but it's not nice when it's all the time yeah if you could imagine the worst case you can prepare for it that's what you that's what you tend to think and like in your job that's incredibly useful but like you say in everyday life that's just exhausting you don't yeah it is exhausting to be fair in your job the what ifs and the terrible things could happen but actually the what ifs and the terrible things that you think in real life they are very unlikely to happen yeah so I was thinking for years or you know having a couple of drinks in the evening that's going to calm things down for me but it wasn't it was doing the direct opposite of that and it's taken only now when I've stopped for me to realize just how chaotic everything was I think you're constantly trying to catch up with yourself when you when you're drinking alcohol when you stop there is that level of quiet and I can come in from work now yeah I've got a few bits to do you know cleaning up and sorting the kids out for bed but then it's kind of like okay and you can literally feel yourself winding down properly. And then yeah. you're ready for bed. You're ready to go to sleep. And then you're ready to start the next day with more energy. So when it comes to the medical profession then, so obviously you've done lots of training. And were you aware at all of the link between anxiety and alcohol? 
I was more kind of like aware of the physical aspects of alcohol and the effect that it had on the body. But again, that was kind of like looked into more as I was studying my degree, as I started understanding body systems more and how they all work individually, but yet how they work together. And this, when I've mentioned previously about me stopping for a month here, a month there, my anxiety had improved. But do you know what? I actually, I think subconsciously, I wanted to stay a little bit ignorant because I didn't really want to face the whole truth. Yeah. And like I said, when I really started to dive into it and reading lots of books, because I just thought, right, there's no escaping it. I need to know the truth now. If I'm going to do this properly, if I'm going to quit completely, then I want to know the truth. I want to know everything that I can find out about it. I want to read studies, and I did. And so I have all this information on board now. But even yeah. This is what I'm saying, you know, even with all this information, it still doesn't stop the fear of missing out. You really have to do keep on top of that. You do. Because people say about going to the GP and things, don't they, and, and saying that they don't drink. Or I think somebody said to me the other day, they went to their GP and they said, well, you want to worry when you drink as much as your doctor, flippantly. And I think there is such, even in the medical profession, nobody really wants to admit the truth to themselves. No. I mean, I hear people talk all the time at work about it. And I, th I think it's, there's a lot more awareness around it now. You're doing operations, like you say, where somebody's actually got, and it's very obviously alcohol linked or accidents that have happened through alcohol. It must be very difficult at the end of that shift not to have a conversation about that. Yeah, it comes up. It comes up. It's the same with like um, eating and things like that as well. There's quite a lot of people that I work with now that are vegan and that don't eat meat. There's There are open discussions about alcohol and the damage that it causes. Little by little, these conversations, they all have an effect somewhere. They all go in. And the more patients that you see that, have su that are suffering, whether it's directly linked to alcohol consumption or it's related to that through an accident or whatever, you're kind of thinking, yeah, this is not good. Look at the amount that has been spent on patients that, you know, as a direct, either directly or linked because of alcohol. All you've got to think about is any A&E that is busy Friday, Saturday night, how many people are in there due to alcohol related incidents? Yeah, my mum loves those A and E programs. Watching all the, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's. I'm sure you love them as well. Might seem like a busman's holiday for you, but um, <laughs> but yeah, she loves watching them, and she's always saying, "You've got to watch this. You've got to watch that." I'm too squeamish to watch things like that, but uh, she loves them, and she says it's always alcohol. You don't realise how much it is and how much flack the staff, medical staff, and the teams take from people that are drunk. Yeah, do you know, I've hardly had any doctor's visits, just thinking about something a bit off-piste here. Hardly had any doctor's visits. So I haven't been asked, how many units do you drink? None, actually. <laughs> and that was really nice. I was just like, yes. So, yeah, first time I can say none. I don't have to sit there calculating, you know, being horrified at how how many I actually have had. I, a GP once said to me, like, we take everything with a pinch of salt. Whatever you say, we double it because we know you've halved it. But I must admit that was quite nice. Uh, just actually being able to say zero. With your anxiety and your panic attacks, has it literally stopped for you now? You say you've still got a bit of catastrophic thinking every now and again or a little bit of an overthink every yeah, now and again. I think I am an overthinker. 
I think anybody that knows me would tell you I am an overthinker. It's hard to describe, actually, because, yes, I overthink. Yes, I have kind of like worst case scenario thinking. But sometimes I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing about my personality because I don't think I'd be able to do my job very well if I didn't have that. Yeah. But it is really nice to be able to switch that off. And I can it has vastly improved. I can switch that off. It's almost like in sobriety, you can step back from that yeah. overthinking and be more objective about it. So you know you're doing it. Yeah. It's like you can apply logic now. Yeah. That's the that's the way that I would put it. I can think about things more logically than my emotions becoming so heightened that then my heart rate's going up. And then my, I can, it's almost like you can feel your blood pressure going up and then you've got a headache. And that's kind of like how it would go. Yeah, um, and then it gets scary. Almost like playing movies in your head and not being able to press the stop button of things that haven't even happened. Yeah. Whereas I can just go, stop, that's enough now. Yeah. Kind of go off and do something else. That is so yeah. true. It's like having a remote control on your brain, isn't it? Yeah. And you so, wouldn't but... imagine that alcohol, because the amount you drank, not like daily drinking or anything like that. So it wasn't always alcohol in your system. Sometimes it was just the next day, hang yeah. anxiety. Exactly. And you're drinking and then you're not sleeping properly. And then you've had a stressful day and it kind of, it's all snowballing into each other, isn't it? And then to, because you've had a stressful day, then you're having a drink again, but then you're not sleeping again. And you can only do that so long before you're literally on your ass, absolutely exhausted. And that's why I posted that horrendous picture of me when I started my account, one where I literally look like I've been punched in the eyes. I look like I've got a broken nose or something. And that was without any makeup on. And that was at the point where I'd gone, do you know what? I have really had enough now. I am knackered. I am so tired. And that was um, that was my day one. That was my first day. That is so amazing to put something out there like that. Um, and I know I share the puffy face videos and pictures and things. And actually, it's when you look at yourself and you think, I thought I looked all right. And then I realized I had bags under my eyes, like you were saying about the circles, the bags under your eyes. And you, all of that is, is water retention and your body struggling. Yeah. Whereas for me, I almost look, I don't know, they were almost like hollow. They were so black under my eyes. So I'm thinking, you know, logically thinking that's obviously tiredness and dehydration. Yeah. And probably altered mood as well. Because I do know that some mood disorders can actually affect your appearance of your skin. Your eyes can appear dark underneath. I know that yeah. can be quite true of people that have bipolar, which I don't have. But yeah, I just got to a point where I was like, this is ridiculous. I've, I've had enough. Yeah. And I literally had had enough. I was exhausted. And so that was that. And I haven't touched a drop since. And my last drink was on the 16th of March. Well, congratulations. It's 264 days, so another 100 or so days, and then I'll have done a year. That's the kind of like the way that I'm looking at it now. It'd be nice, you know, what you're saying about everything within the first year, it's, it's your first everything. So it's your first birthday, your first Christmas, so on and so forth. I'll be glad when that's done. Yeah. And I start getting into that power. Well, this is just life now. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, when this goes out, because it's going out in January, so you're going to be even closer. Yeah. I'm absolutely astonished that your panic attacks have completely 
cleared up for you. I think that's amazing. Well gone. Well done. So it's amazing. It's amazing for me, to be honest. I mean, it was quite a long time ago now since I had the major ones. But, you know, I would have one every so often. And another thing along the lines of that as well is I don't seem to have many palpitations anymore. And I used to get them every single day. Well, that's a sign, isn't it? Not sure if that was anxiety related as well, or if that's actually just on the back of having a couple of drinks the night before. But I used to get palpitations all the time. So I don't. And that's stressful. Palpitations are horrible. Yeah. 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 So all in um, all, your physical body is really feeling. So you're getting better sleep. Better sleep, less anxiety. My heart rate's come down as well because that used to scare me a little bit because it was always kind of like bouncing around about 91, which is not good. <laughs> Gosh, uh, so you haven't got an Apple Watch or something, have you? You're watching it on. <laughs> I don't like putting them on. But yeah, it, it's averaging around about between 65 to 70 now. So a lot less than it used to be. Wow. Because mm. I've, you know, I've talked to people and their heart rates drop 10 beats a minute. Yeah. I mean, my drop 10 beats a minute. And it was within seven days it did that. So just for those people who are currently going through dry January or starting their sober journey, already your heart rate will have dropped. So some of the changes are actually quite instant. But that is amazing. Yeah. That's so it's no wonder if you think about if, you, if your heart rate is quite high or maybe even tachycardic at over 100 beats per minute it's not supposed to be that high so that's kind of like it's kicking in your fight or flight yeah isn't it so to not have that to not have that heart hammering in my chest is actually so relaxing it feels different it's like a breath of fresh air I can naturally just relax quite easily but that also could be to do with the fact that I've also lost weight because I was at a point where I'd be getting dressed in the morning, trying to put my shoes on and actually getting out of breath because my belly was in the way of putting my shoes on. I don't have that now, thankfully. Well, that brings us to your third thing then, doesn't it? What's your third benefit of sobriety? Oh, gosh, weight loss, without a shadow of a doubt, um, and overall energy. Was that a goal for you? Was weight loss one of those real motivators? I was absolutely disgusted with myself. I have been a person who has been naturally slim most of my life. And then going through COVID and being a student did not help because we started with all the takeaways, but, you know, we were drinking more, having takeaways, not moving around as much. Yeah, so I went from being size eight near enough to a size 14 within the space of a few years. It was obviously a shock to my system. That I've I've gone down to a 10 now. So I've just got that final little push to get back to what I was. Yeah, and weight loss, it doesn't happen for everybody. Yeah, for me, I was also, like I say, um, I suppose had a bit of disordered eating as well. So say if I was at home, maybe not eating throughout the day and then eating like quite a lot late at night snacking and things like that if I was sat at my laptop and working all day then it would just be anything to be quick so I could carry on working and eating at the same time so my food choices were all wrong as well as drinking beer which is high in calorie was beer beer was definitely your choice of drink was it yeah I wouldn't touch anything else and it had to be like low percent thinking that you know you're in control so yeah I wouldn't have wine I wouldn't have anything other than 
Carlsberg was my my drink of choice, thinking, oh well, it's it's weak, so you'll be fine. But it's not fine if you're having a few of those in the every evening. You know, it does catch up. But when I stopped, then my eating changed as well. So I'm eating more normally, but I'm not overeating, which is what I ended up doing. Uh, say if I was at work, I'm quite embarrassed actually. Um, I'd maybe go and get a cup breakfast. There's nothing wrong with that. Lunch. Yeah, but if you do in the same day, (laughs) yeah, I was starving. I was starving. It's like I was craving carbohydrate. Do you think that was sort of almost hangover kind of? Yeah. But your body was still craving that sort of the fats and the carbs. Yeah, and I was giving into that as well. More to the pity. Whereas, do you know, I hardly eat bread at all anymore, and it's not been a conscious thing either. It's just. I don't feel like I want it or potatoes or pasta I I do eat them in small doses but you know it's more like proteins and veg and nice fresh things that I want to eat now so even the choice of foods that I'm actually wanting has changed you listen to your body more don't you when you're sober absolutely 100% and I actually find myself doing the most bizarre thing which I really didn't think that I would do I, <laughs> oh dear me, I find myself taking myself off to Tesco at strange times in the evening. I don't know why. Just because you I can. Think, oh, well, I can drive somewhere and I want to do something. So oh, I'll find myself at Tesco at half 10 at night, just wandering around. <laughs> just literally just, oh, look at this bargain kind of thing. Just, I don't even know. It doesn't happen all the time, but. It's the freedom, isn't it? It's, it's like freedom. that. I can drive, I can just go off and do what I want. And I live near a 24-hour one, so. <laughs> you can go at three in the morning if you really yeah. fancied it. <laughs> but I do that. I don't know if you find this thing as well where I'll catch myself. So I'll I'll just run to the shop. And yeah. you, you go out and you get in the car and there's a part of my brain going, are you okay to drive? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm, or I'll go and pick my daughter up from a school disco or something. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like, check me out getting in my car at this time of night. <laughs> I think I'm like, you know, like those, do you remember the, the boy racers with the cherry bomber exhaust yeah. going up and down the road, their music on with the windows down. That's going to be us, 40, yeah. 40 odd years old, <laughs> playing a bit of take that. Yeah. <laughs> Full power out the yeah. window on the way to yeah. Asda. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sounds yeah. like a plan, that. That's freedom. That's- yeah, it is freedom. It's also therapy as well, because like you said, I'm one for putting my music on quite loud in the car, singing along and then just going having a wander around. It is freedom. And it's funny, those things that you find joy in change as well, don't they? Because after, a f- I would say, I, I don't know what you think, two, three months? Yeah. They call it the pink cloud, don't they? Well, I live in a pink cloud now. I'm refusing to let go of the bugger. It's taken me this long that I will find joy in anything. I think for me, it is sporadic. I definitely had that. It's almost euphoric Um, the first couple of months. It was like, wow, you know, feel amazing. It does dip, but then mm. it goes back again. And as I've explained, and I've been honest, it has dipped against, again recently, but it is literally thinking about Christmas and just that being the first time for me, really. But you know what? I'm trying to get to the point where I'm looking forward to it. I want to tackle it head on. Because having sat down and spoken to my partner, having really gone through my Instagram account, really sat down and put logic to it, 
it is a case of what the hell were you thinking? Mm. And I was like, even thinking it just feels ridiculous. So no, I'm not going to have anything over the Christmas period. I don't intend to at all. I honestly feel like I've come too far now to go back on that. Yeah, I don't know that, and somebody said this to me, I don't know I've got another day one in me. And I don't mean that dramatically. I don't think I could throw myself into this in the same way that I have. No. With the same enthusiasm and gusto. Yeah. Again, that keeps me focused and keeps me sober. And actually, maybe I was thinking as you were talking there, maybe your catastrophic thinking, your need to plan and do that worst case scenario, maybe you were just running through that. Maybe it's not that your brain was necessarily taking you there it was just like well you you could and this would be what would happen and let's have a chat about that and let's think about it and then let's make a logical decision which is what you've done yeah definitely I am really fortunate with my partner I can pretty much talk to him about anything so yeah after a couple of failed relationships finally end up with this person who I can literally just be myself with and he has been so instrumental to my sobriety I can't even tell you he's so so supportive I am super, super lucky that I'm with this wonderful person who is just singing my praises and fighting my corner for me and kind of going, you know what, Leanne, let's just look at it like this. And he's he is very logical. He sounds very great. Lo- he is. He's a good man. I'm very, very, very lucky. Yeah. They say third time lucky, don't they? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Well, this is my third husband, so uh, yeah. I think uh, I'll agree yeah. with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's like being with my best friend. It is easy. Yeah, that's what you want life to be. And I don't know about you as well. That's how I find sobriety is that, especially in a relationship, all the angst is taken away then when you're not running with an amount of alcohol in your system. You're not, not only are you not anxious with anxiety, but there's no bubbling niggles and arguments and sniping and yeah I think every couple naturally has certain challenges at certain times particularly if you've got a blended family as well you know it can't be perfect 100% of the time but I think if you've got that rational side of you you haven't got something fueling an irritation or an anger or whatever because you're not thinking rationally if you're pouring alcohol down your throat you're just not because you've not got the chemical you've got tiredness You've got anxiety. Everything is kind of like heightened, but yet worsened at the same time. And that lack of energy as well, isn't it? Yeah. So it is nice to, if you, there is a point of conflict that comes up, being able to resolve that in a nicer way than it actually even escalating to the point of a row. It's yeah. a conversation. It's not an argument. Yeah. So I ask all of my guests this, or I started to ask all of my guests this, If you had a time machine and Mm -hmm. you could go back to yourself on day one of your sobriety, knowing what you know now, what piece of advice would you give yourself? I would say that initially it's hard to deal with emotions that come up because you're so used to blotting them out, but don't give up sitting with them because the more that you sit with them, you get used to dealing with it and whatever heightened emotion you might have at a certain time it's quite short-lived and there is no amount of alcohol that is going to change any instance that comes up in your life whether that be an argument trouble with the family dynamic stress at work it's not going to solve anything 
So for me, it was always a case of trying to shut my head up. The fact that I've taken that away now is I can actually shut my head up. It might not happen for a day or so, but it will go eventually. And just to run with the peaks and troughs of those emotions. Second thing is ask for help. That's what I would tell myself is to ask for help. If you are struggling, don't sit there internalizing it. Reach out to somebody, whether that be in a professional capacity, as in AA, whether it be another form of addiction help, whether it be somebody that you're quite close to in the Instagram sober community. I wouldn't just do it to anybody. It's, you know, what I'm saying is somebody that I'm actually quite friendly with. But there are so many nice people in the community. But even looking at posts, at people's posts and like seeing other people's comparisons. I mean, yeah, I got lost in wormholes so much kind of like initially because it was kind of passing some time. But I was also soaking it all up like a sponge as well and thinking to myself, I want to get to that point. I would love to be there. I'd love to be in their shoes. Look at how their life is now. And now you are. And now I am. And another thing is keep hold of the, make some little comparisons because they've some they really helped me. Even recently, like look at your day one, then look at your day 30, then, you know, your day 60 and so on and so forth. And it does give you a boost. But the eyes. The eyes never lie. It's the brightness in somebody's eyes. And you can see that in photographs. But I look back in photographs and it was all puffiness around my eyes, around my face, and, and they didn't have any light in them. Majority of people, when I quit, were kind of like, have you done something different? Your eyes look different. Have you got contacts in? And I'm like, no. <laughs> they noticed. So, yeah, definitely. The eyes were probably, which it's quite sad, really, isn't it, when you think? Because I certainly, when I was drinking, I didn't know there was anything wrong with my eyes. No, I didn't. I certainly, you know, it wasn't something that I was conscious of. No. But now that I have, it's kind of like, God, when you look at the pictures, or if I look at pictures gone by when I was on a night out, so now it's definitely from here up, just feels like, oh my God, look how white they are. Look at how white my eyes are. Well, you're going to say, how wider they are. Your eyes have been opened. Yeah. I love that. It's I literally like my eyes have been opened. And uh, probably anybody that has decided to stop drinking it is a good feeling and that's the thing to remember in those rare moments because in early sobriety you fight that voice all the time don't you that that oh, oh come on month. it'll be fine like the first month is is tougher um, first month is the hardest yeah definitely and then it gets less and less and then it might be triggered by an event or by something somebody says or just out the blue for no reason and then it takes you by surprise but you've got to be prepared for it and then it gets less and less and less over time and so I'm ready for it I, I'll karate chop that thought away should it arise uh, but I also know I will not give it you know like with catastrophic thinking you yeah. sometimes get you chew on the thought like bubblegum yeah. and I will even if a thought pops into my mind because thoughts aren't facts they're just suggestions from our brain based on patterns yeah. and learned behavior so it might pop into my brain. Oh, you'd normally have a Bailey's at this time of year or whatever it might be. Yeah. I don't even chew on it. I just literally bat it away. Well, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, if I need to, I'll, I'll put more time and effort into it and do other sort of techniques to lessen it. But because I used a lot of thought distancing techniques in very early sobriety, I've challenged that repetitive thinking. 
Yeah. Once you've done it once, do you not find as well? Once you've challenged a particular scenario or a situation. It's easier to go back and challenge it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're just rewiring that response, that neural pathway, and then it's getting stronger. Yeah. So you're going to have an amazing Christmas. And by the time this airs, you'll have had an amazing Christmas. <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> you will. I'll, I'll put the update in the show notes. But people oh. can go and find your Instagram account. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, but it has been so lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for sharing oh. your story. Thank you. It's lovely to be speaking to you as well. And thanks for inviting me on your podcast. Oh, I'm you're good. welcome. Thank you. And just to remind you that I've got a parallel series running at the moment for Dry January. You may be interested in it, even if you're later in your sobriety, I do cover some topics about mental health as well, from my perspective as a cognitive behavioural hypnotherapist. If you'd like to find out more, then make sure you're following this podcast and you'll get notified of new episodes. And the normal Sober Rebel episodes will continue to go out once a fortnight. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode. And if you'd like to find out more about my sober journey, you can get my book, Becoming a Sober Rebel, available on Kindle and also as an audiobook on Audible. You can also head to my website, louisaevans.com, where you'll find lots of useful links to the book, to the podcast, and also find out more about how I can help. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.